You know, I didn't know this morning until we were on our way home. And uh, Mary said, I think Children's Church was kind of caught off guard this morning. I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, we were done a little early. I said, oh, nobody complained. <laughs> and uh, I thought, well, you know, I didn't think I, my sermon was any shorter. Maybe there's, I don't know if the song service was a little shorter. I don't know. But anyway, nobody complained. We all got to where we were going. And so I thought, though, since, you know, y'all pay me a good salary and I, I owe it to you. You think I should just add that on to tonight? Okay. 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 Well, I just want to make sure you get what you're paying for. So, no. And so, so I take this, and I told Mary this afternoon, uh, when I realized, I, I usually, as I'm preparing, I usually handwrite my notes, but then just because I can't really always read it, I type it up before I preach it. And I got through typing. I always know about how many, how my notes type up should be, all that. And I said, you know, I don't have as many notes as I thought I should have. So tonight may be even shorter. I don't know. But um, anyway, we'll be in 1 Peter tonight. We're in 2 Peter this morning. We'll be in 1 Peter tonight, 1 Peter chapter 1. As uh, we look at another place where Peter talks about the Word of God. And it's another one of those places that you might just gloss over as you're reading it. And uh, you might say, oh, you know, I, I know what that means. And I just gloss over it and not really think about why it's there and why he said what he said. And, but, you know, as we looked at 2 Peter this morning and, and we talked about his, his description of the Word of God, and he talked about how uh, it contained eyewitness accounts, uh, especially those uh, New Testament uh, writers uh, from himself and, and, uh, and from the other apostles. It was eyewitness accounts. We talked about uh, how he described it as, as uh, not man's word, but God's word as he moved men along and, and, and led them along to write down what we have today is the New Testament scriptures. But most importantly, what we said this morning, it was the overarching point of that whole passage, was that the word of God is sufficient for all of our needs, that God's word is enough. And we'll see that again from a little bit different light as we look in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 tonight. Now, in the earlier part of 1 Peter chapter 1, before we get down to our text, uh, we, we see that, that he's talked to them about the salvation that these readers have already experienced. These are saved people he's writing to. It's the same audience that he wrote to uh, in 2 Peter. And we, we see that over in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 1. He says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds uh, by, way of by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. And so it's very, very, uh, very much a reminder for us today that Peter reminded these early Christians that they not only needed to be mindful of the things that he and the apostles wrote, but they need to be mindful of the things of the prophets of old. Kind of timely as we continue, uh, when Brother Eric's back next week, continue walking through uh, the prophet Isaiah and the other major prophets as he'll preach through uh, that series. And so it's the same audience. They're Christians scattered all over that part of the Roman Empire. They're being persecuted. And uh, Peter, in the first part of chapter 1 here, is talking to them about pressures they would face, about how they'd be tested. And then it gets us to verse 13. So because of those things they'll face... And because of the way their faith will be tested, he says this, 
Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Let's pray together tonight. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you uh, for the, the holy men of God like Peter and the other apostles and other faithful men who, uh, who took the, the time as you inspired them to write these things down so that we could know you more, so that we could draw closer to you, and uh, maybe more importantly, so that we could live our lives for you uh, here in the world in which we live today. I pray that you bless our time together and speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, verse 13, we'll just see a few things before we get to the main point tonight. Uh, again, we'll kind of look at, I don't have, this morning I kind of had some points. This mor- tonight, I guess I got one point, you know, it's a one-point sermon. But we'll look at the background here before we get to the point. I don't want to say I don't have any points, because it really does have a point. What would be the point of this if I didn't have a point, right? Anyway, are you with me? Okay. Verse 13. Peter says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. You've heard this before. It's been preached here before. And uh, it's just a great uh, great line there. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Very much using a visual that they would have understood in that day. Uh, You know, ladies may understand this. I hope they understand it a lot more than the men in the room understand it. You know, gathering up that apparel that they wore, that loose robe apparel, almost dress-like, gathering it up so they could run, okay? And uh, it says, gird up the loins, but not of your clothes, of your mind. The New American Standard Bible says it this way, prepare your minds for action. Because of the hostility you're going to face in the world, and it's, it's, it's really uh, ironic Maybe it's not that uh, the same things that these people were facing, to some extent, Christians today face as well. Our world is, is so eerily similar to the, to the world in which this was written. He says, prepare your mind for action. Pull up the ends of your loose thinking is another way to think about what he's saying. He's saying to reject the hindrances of the world. And focus on Jesus. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You say, that sounds really good. But why? Why? I think at heart we all have a little bit of a five-year-old in us, right? But why? True, it asks that a lot. And he gets the same answer that I said I think God uses a lot of times. It's usually just because I said so, right? Why do we gird up the loins of our mind? Why should we prepare our minds for action? We'll continue reading in verse 14. It's because he's got an assignment for us is what it amounts to. Verse 14 says, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in ignorance, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your ways. Huh. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be obedient, children. 
It says, but he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Verse 15 talks about an experience. An experience. We talked a little bit about experiences this morning, didn't we? About Peter's experience on the mountain with James and John as they saw Jesus in his heavenly state, in his glorified body, along with Moses and Elijah. What an experience. And Peter says, hey, every Christian, you've had an experience too. That experience called salvation. The most amazing thing that could ever happen to you has happened to you. That the God of the universe sent his son to die on a cross so that you don't have to go to hell if you'll only accept the payment for that penalty, that Jesus Christ rose from the grave and he lives today and sits at the right hand of God, you accept that gift and you can go to heaven too. What an amazing experience salvation is. It says he called you. You had an experience. So when the Holy Spirit called uh, you into a saving relationship, you made that decision to trust Jesus. So we'll stop here and ask the question in light of this morning's message. Is Peter saying we should seek holiness? Read verse 15 again. But he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Is he saying that we should seek holiness because of our experience at salvation? This amazing experience that we had, is that why we should seek holiness? The answer to the question is no. Because you see, the sentence doesn't stop there. Again, we're fixing to see the word of God trump our experience. In verse 16, well, let's go back up and read again in verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct because, three words, it is written. Be holy not because you're saved. Be holy not because of this amazing experience that you had. Seek to live a life of holiness because God said to. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Be holy why? Because God said to. Peter's quoting Leviticus chapter 11 verse 44 there uh, in, in verse 16. That's where it is written, be holy for I am holy. But we see the same phrase used over and over again in the New Testament. You see the apostles use this all the time as they're describing uh, different events and they're relating it to the scriptures and they say it is written. You know, Jesus Christ, as he did things, he did things to fulfill the, the prophecies as it is written. But, you know, Jesus Christ used this as well. The best picture that we have is over a very familiar passage of scripture that is in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is being tempted by Satan in the desert. And I know this is a very familiar passage of scripture, but I think it does us well to read it again tonight. In Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Matthew records this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said to him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to a high into a high sorry, that went over again. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him uh, on the pinnacle of the temple. 
and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. And then Satan says, For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And the devil took him up uh, on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Jesus uses what? Jesus doesn't use his life experiences to defeat Satan. But how many times have you and I, when we're trying to resist the temptations that Satan may set before us, do we try to use our personal experiences or we try to use our personal knowledge to resist the temptations of Satan? And now stop and think, how many times has that worked? Jesus Christ He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, I and the Father are one. Jesus Christ, not just the Son of God, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, did not use his personal experience to try to defeat the temptations of Satan. What did he use? He used the written word of God. Jesus said, it is written. But be careful. Because as that showed in Matthew chapter 4, Satan knows the word of God too. And how many times have we heard somebody, or maybe even how many times have we done it ourselves, where we twist a verse of scripture just enough to make our minds feel good about doing what we know we probably shouldn't in the first place. But Jesus Christ used scripture to stay clean in a dirty world in the day in which he lived. So the first step for us to resist the temptation of the world around us is to ask this question. What does the Bible say? And you say, you know, I have a hard time figuring that out. Well, James said in James chapter 1, verse 5, he said, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. James didn't say, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him Google it. Maybe he'll find the answer. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him look it up in a book. Maybe he'll find the answer. James said, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And we know that as we study the scriptures and we we study about uh, about the topic of prayer, we know that we talk to God by by praying. We ask of God. But see, God's not going to talk to us like he talked to Peter, James, and John on the mountain. The only way we're going to hear the answer, the only way we're going to get the wisdom we asked for is to read the words that are written. We don't study the Bible to know the Bible. Not necessarily. I've heard it said that we study the Bible so that we can get to know better the God of the Bible. So don't miss the forest for the trees. If we were to ask God why we're supposed to live by the rules of this book, I think he'd respond just like any loving parent, because that's what he is, isn't he? 
God, why ought I live by the rules you set out? Well, first of all, I mean, we, he could give a really complicated answer or a really long answer. He could say, well, you know, because I created you. I knitted you together in your mother's womb. I hung the stars in the sky. I caused that heartbeat that you've got. I created your body, and I know exactly what your body needs to be sustained. I know what is exactly right for you and how you ought to live your life so that you can have the best life because I created you and I created the universe in which you live. And so I have given you these rules because I, better than anybody, know exactly what you need. See, God could say something like that and he'd be 100% accurate. But I think just as we've read through the scriptures and as we read here in, in Peter's explanation, because we know he's moved by the Holy Spirit to write this, and he says, He who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. I think if we ask God why he wants us to follow these rules, I think it'd just be a simple answer. I think he'd just say, Because I said so. Why? Because it is written. And I hope that as we go through the week and as we go through the rest of our lives, we can, we can think back on that. And as we're going through tough times, we won't rely on anything else. So we're going through good times. We won't rely on anything else but just the words of God that are written. Because he knows what we need. He's our creator. He's our sustainer. And he's given us this word because it is sufficient to meet every need that we'll ever have. Is there anything before we close? If not, if you'll stand and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer.